Welcome to the Presentation Boss Podcast. I'm Kate Norris. I'm Thomas Craft. And we're here to help you plan, design, and deliver your best presentation. Hello there, and welcome, bosses, to episode 76 of the Presentation Boss Podcast. Today we're doing mostly a speech breakdown, but we've got a little bit of interview in here as well to spice things up. Yeah, so today we have a TED Talk by Dr. Anthony Mativia. And this is a bit exciting for us because, Thomas, you have some experience with Anthony and this TED Talk. Yes, very early on this year, Anthony reached out to me and he said he had a slot at a TEDx conference here in Australia. Well, actually down in Melbourne. Melbourne's still Australia. And he realized that was a pretty good opportunity and that he wanted to get it right. And so he came to me for a bit of help to make sure that he had a good TED Talk. So we spent a few sessions here in Brisbane sort of going through uh, a lot of his ideas and really refining his speech down. So yeah, we're about to hear a TED Talk that I had a bit to do with. So that's kind of exciting. That's exciting. Yeah, a bit of a goal for me to like work on a TED Talk. So first of hopefully many. So just a quick bit of background, Dr. Anthony Mativia is an experienced memory expert, he's an author, he's a professor, and a memory improvement course creator. And I just think of him as the memory guy. (laughs) So we sat down for a few minutes to discuss the experience of what it was like having a speech coach and getting ready for a TED Talk. So let's listen to your conversation with Anthony first, and then we'll come back briefly, and then we'll listen to Anthony's full TED Talk given in TEDx in uh, early 2020. Welcome, Anthony, to the Presentation Boss podcast and a little bit before we do your breakdown. Thomas, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So I guess uh, really quickly, let's talk about who are you? Like, uh, how did we come to know each other? Like, what is it that you do that landed you on a TED stage? Well, I think we know each other from a local business meeting, networking. And I remember that I saw you after some months, maybe three months or something, and I almost blanked on your name. And we were in the elevator, and then I just did my own teaching. It was the perfect proof of concept moment, because I was like, just relax and let it come. And then it was Thomas, and I was so delighted when you said yes. <laughs> but I think um, that's how we know each other, if memory serves. And uh, yeah, getting to the TEDx, I was just invited to put in an application if I would, if I would go. And so that's how I wound up there, because... Uh, I never applied before. Uh, I remember opening an application one time and I thought, oh, this is too much work. But when I was uh, applied then, or when I was invited, then I I, I finished. Um, So I guess it was just, you know, a a great thing that that had happened. Nothing I, nothing I worked very hard for, though. Yeah, right, right. Because I know know in Australia, TEDx events tend to be by invite only. So that makes sense, yeah. You know, you, you got yourself a TED slot. Uh, why did you reach out for help? And then why did you reach out to me specifically for help? Well, you may have already noticed I don't tend to speak very in a very <laughs> linear fashion. <laughs> so I was kind of worried that I would just blow the opportunity uh, even with my, I mean, I, not to self-deprecate, but I, I don't have any experience speaking in that kind right. of uh, venue or format. I was a professor for, I mean, I lectured for almost 10 years and I can't say that I ever once followed a plan or a script beyond, <laughs> you know, spending a week figuring out what I was going to lecture. But, you know, you just I just sort of went with it um, a lot of the times and ignored my own prep. So I was, I was concerned about that. Plus I knew you and I just thought this is an opportunity uh, to maximize what I have from someone who I'd seen speak that I knew could speak. And, um, yeah, I just 
jumped on something that was right in front of me and so obvious to yeah. uh, to seek help for. I like that you recognise that there was it was a different speaking experience and a bit higher stakes, and you need some preparation for it. I like that, yeah. How do I guess? How did you then find the experience overall? Because this was back in like January, February. We worked. How did you find that experience of going through your talk and having a coach and making some hard decisions? Even oh, it was great because there's so many things that I didn't consider. Like for example, I'm talking about heavy stuff. You know, not happy joyous walk in the park kind of topic and you pointing out you know almost like a save the cat not not exactly save the cat but it's just like remind people you're okay now and uh yeah. that was like a huge scripting thing that i think was really important also you know working as much as possible to figure out who who we're talking to what it is that that they might be able to recognize even though you know we can't to tell the whole story of all memory techniques, etc., and then what's going to be the transformation and so forth, and then what's the one thing? Like, yeah. if there's one thing here, what is it going to be? So, all these things percolated in my head, and as you know, I wound up just doing. We worked on one thing, and then I I pivoted almost not exactly last minute, but pretty close to last minute. I was like, no, I'm doing something else. Yeah. So all that prep sort of like helped figure out that next thing. But those were some of the things, and then you know. Although I can memorize uh, quite readily, one thing that you said that I'd never really heard of, but I don't recall ever hearing before, was was walk with the talk. So I walked with it a lot, even though I memorized it. And I was able to walk with it in the memory palace here in Brisbane. Yeah, uh, right. But um, And then I had a very little amount of time to walk a little bit in Melbourne. But that was I thought that was really interesting. Uh, it added a certain dimension to the internalization that you talk about. To, to follow that advice. It's interesting because there was obviously the talk that we planned and worked on and there was something a bit different that got presented because you made a pivot for some reason there. I imagine that second talk that actually got given, you relied a lot on the principles and stuff we talked about in that first talk, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was much better because it followed that sort of structure and you would given feedback on the second one as well. So uh, I, I, I didn't commit to memory all those last details, but there was a, there was a strong gut instinct to change it and to, to sort of, and, and as we know, Ted flagged it that I didn't follow the, the procedures. <laughs> you did a naughty. <laughs> <laughs> but my gut said, this idea, you know, isn't the idea. There's a, I think the original one was worth spreading, but the, this other one was much more, mm. So just what happens when you let go of the fear and you do what you want to do and you use what you learned to craft the best possible format for it. And then, you know, I presented it to you and you gave some more feedback. And um, yeah, I just think it was much, much stronger to to be doing what I what, what I was called to do with structural ideas and some some practice with that, even though it was much less practice than I would have, I would have liked, but we never get as much as we would like. <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting, like of all the things that you know, of all the stuff that you could talk about, why was it that topic you settled on? What was it about that message that you felt was worth sharing with the world at that time? Well, it's very simple. That stuff that I did not just saved my life, but it keeps saving it. Yeah. And that can be a very uncomfortable thing for people to talk about or to hear or whatever. But mental illness is a, a disease like diabetes or whatever. Hmm. And like diabetes, it has to be managed. It doesn't necessarily go away. There's not necessarily a cure. So in terms of 
the kind of authenticity and transparency and being real with people that we can do with the internet and so forth. It's like, if you're going to do something, then you got to share how you are doing anything at all, which is my case. Cause if I don't, if I don't do this stuff, I get less and less well in terms of exacerbations of bipolar disorder. And it's, a, it's a miracle that I'm alive in the first place, given some of the things that have happened to me uh, dealing with this condition. So that's why. And the other thing that we were talking about, yeah, it's great and it would help people and blah, blah, blah. But this is like throwing a lifeline, um, hmm. the same lifeline that I use every day. Yeah. yeah. And like you, like you said, there was the idea about making the audience feel okay. Because like you talk about, you talk about a history of, of some pretty dark mental health stuff. Uh, and I know that was one of the things we talked about was you need to let the audience know that they're in safe hands. We need to let the audience know that you as the speaker are speaking from scars and not wounds. We're not treating this as a, as a therapy session. I think that was the big right, right. early on thing there. Because like you said, there was a bit of a, um, I'm not going to call it a mental dump. There was like the first video you sent through, like, this is my ideas. And there was a lot going on and we, yeah, we yeah. refined that a lot. Hey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was. I mean, I, that, it's just such a perfect thing to point out because I'm completely unaware of the fact that, you know, well, I, I'm not totally unaware that I look kind of like a crazy man. But, <laughs> but when you add on the, uh, the, the the way that I was positioning it and so forth and no mention of, hey, look, I, I, I'm successfully married now, run a business for many years. And if you read the comments, like some people actually defended me against criticism of because <laughs> right. people were like, this guy's just bragging. It's like, no, this is talking about what, the outcome is and people actually went to defend mm -hmm. that it wasn't bragging and i didn't think of it as bragging it was it was stuff i never would have thought of putting <laughs> in there and you mentioned make sure people know you're safe <laughs> yeah because <laughs> i know I, I remember we specifically put that in i said the fact that you're married tells people a lot it tells people that there is one of the fairer sex willing to spend her life with you that says a lot about you as a human the same as like you've run a successful business that says a lot about you not just that you make money somewhere but you've got your head screwed on right like it's the reasons we put that in there yeah yeah i think it play i think it played nicely um and you know it doesn't exactly downplay that i'm still a little bit nutty <laughs> in a good way <laughs> Like you said, managed, right? That's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I guess let's start with, is there anything that you would change about the talk that is now on the internet? Uh, no, because, you know, you can't. And I, But in terms of just healthy self-reflection and mm. criticism, I, I just blew the opening. I feel like I told right. Okay. Because I think I repeated a line twice. And it may not, maybe doesn't come across to anybody else. I maybe just seem like I'm reasserting this big promise that I'm making. But I, I just got lost right away. It actually reminds me of the memory competition that I talked about in the talk, where I almost blew the competition like right from the first card. But it was a, it was a, it was a hard start period with the talk because of uh, various things. But I would would have liked a cleaner opening, and then um, maybe staying on script a little tighter than I did. Yeah. Um, so there were two sort of deviations, but in any case, it just played nicely and, and I wouldn't change anything at the end of the day, but those are two things that sort of come to mind. Yeah. Right. Okay. Is there anything, anything in the talk specifically that you're really proud of? Well, I mean, it, it takes a fair amount of courage to talk about these things. Yeah. So I, I'm not sort of a person who, who, who indulges in, in pride as such, but I, I, Everything that related to it in the in the, in the sort of book version that came out around that time, the whole story it did take a lot of courage to say, "Well, I'm going to share this story 
And um, so whether I'm proud of it or not, I think it's just the right thing to do. So I'm more proud of doing the right thing, yeah. you know, as opposed to any self-revelation. Because as you may know, I don't even think that the self exists, the individual self. So it's just kind of like a paradoxical thing. Pride in what? You know, pride in who? There's nobody here. Lights on, no one. <laughs> <laughs> it takes courage to do hard things. And I think not many people have done a second TED Talk. So it's your first TED Talk for the first time. Right, right. Oh, yes. So overall, how do you feel? the talk went how do you feel about it well i feel fine i mean actually when they uh when i finished they said how do you feel about it and i said well i don't have any thoughts about it at all <laughs> because that's that is what i was talking about is just like how do you reduce thoughts or how do you reduce them on demand so I, I i haven't really thought that much about it other than you know i'm happy that it's done as well as that it has and i'm really interested in the responses in fact you're here in my studio and you're looking at this pile of index cards. Yeah. This is all research for my next book, which was triggered by the discussion because people keep asking, like, what does he mean by the second question? What does that second question mean? And it's just like, wow, there's a book in that. Just, <laughs> just that. So um, I'm, I'm very happy about that. And that's ultimately my, my, my feelings about it is that it did what it should do. You know, Michel Foucault said that the most important ideas aren't right or wrong. It's that they open new discussions. Whether this is a new discussion or not, it's probably not a new one. But, you know, it, 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 it makes it possible to have more discussion. It, it's, it's a flourishing as opposed to, oh, well, that's it. That's done. Thank you very much. Goodbye. You know, this, this, this seems like a beginning of something that I couldn't have anticipated. That was going to be my next question. What's next? But a book is next. Like you've got, <laughs> yeah. you've got something of value out of that just by going through the act of giving a talk. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's a very important one. Uh, I was always going to write another book. I mean, yeah. I've got my mind map journal here is filled with books uh, <laughs> that I have to write. But this book seems to be the obvious follow on yeah. uh, from the victorious mind. Uh, and then the next one is is, is going to deal very much with what exactly I do mean by that second or what we mean, what, what we can all mean. Um, how do our thoughts behave? <laughs> I think it's a very compelling um, thing. And I'm glad people picked up on it and asked yeah. about it. Yeah, right. Well, uh, congratulations on getting a TED Talk. I think there's a lot of people probably listening and out in the world who I think have TED Talk as, as one of those bucket list items and you've, and you've done it and it's got like 800,000 views at time of recording. So congratulations on that. And uh, thanks for sitting down for a few moments. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for the help uh, on making it great. So let's do it. So let's listen to the TEDx talk. So what we do with these speech breakdowns is we will play the talk and we will pause at any pertinent moments and talk about some things that are going really well. And if there's anything that there better not be anything we don't like, right? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's going to be your fault if there is. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, look, we'll just pause and make comment. We think it's a great way to learn is to watch other speakers and think about what they're doing. So this is Anthony Mativier at TEDx Docklands, which is in Melbourne, in February 2020, with two easily remembered questions that silence negative thoughts. How would you like to completely silence your mind? Now, I know you came here to have better thoughts, not no thoughts, right? But wouldn't it be nice to just shut them off on demand? in a way that creates just complete being, just perfect wellness, on demand and in a way that lasts. I figured out how to do this, and I'll teach you the basics today.
I like this opening, classic, just a strong question and tells us that he knows the answer. One thing I do, I will note straight up is how intense he looks, as in um, he's got a really piercing gaze. And I feel like if I was sitting in the audience and he looked at me, I feel like like he would see me, like he would see into my soul. <laughs> he's got a really intense eye gaze. And I, th- I think even his tone, it's very, is direct to what I'm looking for. His sentences yeah. are very defined. Make a statement, say a thing. It comes across very confident. Like yeah. I, like I want to believe him. I want to trust him. Yeah. I like it. Have you seen this before this Ted talk? No, <laughs> I feel like I should have. I feel bad saying no. This is like my work, Kate, and you haven't even. Well, I knew that I would watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that we'd do this and I knew that I would watch it. Come on, I can't coach a TED Talk and then not be like, hey, Kate, Kate, look at this guy's talk. Isn't it good? I think I did promise that I would. Just play it. I figured out how to do this, and I'll teach you the basics today. I only hope you don't ignore this, because I went through years, decades of mental suffering, thanks to the blah, 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 blah in my mind. And it didn't help that I tried to shut those thoughts off by swallowing antidepressants and antipsychotics with alcohol, day after day after day for years. But my biggest sin on top of all that nonsense was being a very committed atheist. You see, I didn't believe that turning your thoughts off was possible because I thought it was connected to woo-woo. And I'd meditated for years, but I certainly didn't believe in something called PNSE, or Persistent Non-Symbolic Experience. Certainly not when my friend Ben Fischel told me about this while we were sitting outside of my favorite cafe in Brisbane. And I had meditated for years, so I noticed that the sun was shining. I noticed how good the hot chocolate coconut milk tasted. And I noticed that my favorite topics were on the table. Meditation, philosophy, the truth and what we can say about the truth in a way that makes it stick so that everybody is on the same page, which would be bliss, right? Well, despite all of Ben's many qualifications in meditation, the science of it, and his knowledge of the history of many spiritual traditions, I wasn't having any of this. Pavement has no thoughts. I said, and there is plenty of it. It's everywhere. I want lots of thoughts, radiant thoughts, the most beautiful, perfect thoughts, endless thoughts, truth thoughts. Now I have to take responsibility for my ignorance in the end, or at least my eye has to take responsibility. But I was also caught in a YouTube algorithm. You know, the kind you press a button and then for three days, three weeks, Three months, three years, blah, 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 blah. In this case, new atheism, science, science, science. If it isn't scientific, it's woo-woo. It's the enemy. So Ben looks at me with his clear, crystal, present eyes. Anthony said to me after he gave this talk that... Surprisingly to him, he didn't speak for his full time. He was actually, I think he said two minutes short, um, shorter than he was in the rehearsals. 
And it's just interesting watching back. It doesn't feel at all rushed. He's got some really nice pause in there when he wants to have a pause. We had a section that had nice long pauses because it was just making a, a specific point there. But just now we've also got the contrast. We have the variation in the voice. So I've got a bit more energy, a bit faster, a little bit louder just here. He's got some really interesting patterns there where he talks about the blah, blah, blah. And that's come back a few times. The repetition of that's very interesting. Yeah. In saying that, I think I probably would like some examples of what blah, blah, blah actually means. Because I think I'm a little bit lost as to exactly what that's talking about. I think I'd like just one example at the beginning and one example of the uh, the YouTube algorithm here he was talking about. Yeah, I think it's a bit, I want to say high level. Mm. It's just, there's some big ideas sort of going on here that haven't really crystallized out just yet. Contrary to that was the point about the cafe. You had the meeting in a cafe, the sun was shining. Like that was very easy to visualize and follow. Yeah, like you say, a few examples, just a little bit of specificity would help me probably catch up exactly where he is in this field. Mm. So Ben looks at me with his clear, crystal, present eyes. And he says, you have to read Gary Weber. Oh, I say, ready to completely knock this down because I know what's coming next. But it turns out that Weber was a very good professional scientist who himself needed a secular way to stop the thoughts in his mind because they were torturing him for years, blah, 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 blah. And he needed something that would work without the need to believe in it. I think there it is. There's the problem we're trying to overcome, which is, which is you've got a uh, you've got a guy here, Anthony, who's got these awful thoughts going on in his head that are consuming him, and sort of unbeknownst to him, he's looking for a way to overcome them, to silence them, but in a way he doesn't believe. And now he's met this other guy that's going to show him exactly what that is. It's really here that I think if I knew nothing about this talk, I'd be on board. Like yes, right, I I follow where we are now. That would work without the need to believe in it. So. I listened, and Ben said, really all it involves is memorizing a couple of things. And I'm a memory guy, so I thought, game on, if that's all it takes. You see, I'd used memory techniques for years. I used them in university to deal with depression and to deal with the brain fog from swallowing your pills with beer. I've also used them to create wonderful language learning experiences, and I even wound up getting my wife with one of these stunts because her dad was smart enough to not let her daughter walk away with a guy who couldn't have small talk in her mother tongue and sing a song at the wedding. I even sat with a two times Guinness world record holder for memory and did not too bad for a guy who swallowed his pills with Guinness on the way to the memory competition. <laughs> it's not really that funny, but such was the extent of how I was trying to quiet my mind. So I went home, looked up this Gary Weber guy, ordered a book called Happiness Beyond Thought, shortly after that, another one called Evolving Beyond Thought. And sure enough, this is what Dr. Weber says. Memorize some Sanskrit and your thoughts will start to turn down. And if you do it right, you can maybe even blow them out like a candle so that they never start up again. Now that's a very huge promise. But I thought if I could even just go from volume 11 down to 10, this would be sweet mercy. And I was interested in this Sanskrit stuff. 
because I did a PhD and took some linguistics courses along the way, and this was attractive to me. I like to learn languages. As we heard today already, it's not that hard. So I got into this. Sanskrit, 3,500 years old at least, and many wonderful philosophical texts have been written in this language. It's notorious for its precision in cutting through the noise and getting to the heart of things. But this work, it's not really about the Sanskrit. It's not even really about words. It's about the ability of patterns to neutralize patterns. And I found this out in a very interesting way. Because at the back of Evolving Beyond Thought, Weber has assembled all the Sanskrit he recommends you memorize. And he has these English statements with them that I took to be the English translations. I feel like this section just here where we're talking about a book, we're talking about a physical item, having a visual would be really helpful. I would have liked him to have the actual book. I don't know if that's allowed in Ted. Of course it's allowed. You're allowed props. Yeah. I mean, even I was thinking even a photo of the back page that he's referring to on the slide behind him. Mm. And did we talk about this in the interview? We had talked about slides and he decided not to go with them uh, on the thought that the behind him would just be a blank screen. But it's got the massive TEDx Docklands bright white single slide behind him. Obviously, that's just the placeholder. Looking back, it would have been nice to just have a simple image there that's maybe this is what the book looked like mm. or what Sanskrit looks like or just... Just a little visual there. Yeah. Would have, been, would have been handy. The English translations. Memory guy, sure, but also a little bit of an absent-minded professor. So I'm memorizing this Sanskrit and this English. Chitameva Mahadosham, Chitameva Hi Balakaha, Chitameva Mahatmayam, Chitameva Mahanasat. Clearly not English, is it? But what a beautiful mistake. What a blessing in disguise, because as I'm working with this day in and day out, this English is very simple. Are my thoughts useful? How do they behave? And as thoughts come roaring in, as they tended to do, on autopilot, I start to answer with these questions. Are my thoughts useful? How do they behave? How do my thoughts behave? Are they useful? The order doesn't really seem to matter. And these thoughts just start to fall apart. Unless, of course, they were useful. Because sometimes you do have useful thoughts. And I found out that it's a very good thing to observe the usefulness of thoughts. So maybe you can have some more of them from time to time. Now, Eckhart Tolle in The Power of Now has this quote that used to frustrate me. He say, focus all your attention on the now and tell me what problem you have in this moment. I don't know about you, but this little undisciplined mind, it can find all kinds of problems when it focuses on the moment, right? But as we think about our future and our sight for how we're going to deal with the future, what I needed and what I think we could all use is not so much a focus on anything in the now, but rather tools that help us not destroy, not dissolve, not chase away, but simply neutralize the noise. Because the more I looked into it, the scientists and the spiritual people, they do agree about one thing. They are on the same page about one thing. And that is that energy doesn't die. It just changes form. And I found out that the neutral form in my mind is pure bliss. And it is agreement. 
Now, I eventually figured out my mistake and memorized the proper English for this Sanskrit. And there are 30 sets of questions in total in this book, Evolving Beyond Thought. And in this case, it's really just simple. Mind is the great folly. Mind is that undisciplined little boy, but it's the mind that thinks it's the big man. And that thought is folly. That thought is illusion. And this was beautiful to work with, beautiful to realize, because we've seen all the best minds of our time roaring at each other, keyboard warriors, Twitter storms, even the best of the best think their little undisciplined thoughts are the big man, right? We've got to be able to get past this. We can't afford to not see and extract value even from the things we don't like. It was interesting to work with Anthony. He's talking here about, uh, can I call this like psychology or mindfulness or... Spirituality maybe? Yeah which is a little bit outside the type of content that we normally work with, right? We normally deal with the hard sciences, IT, very black and white. People. <laughs> people and topics, yeah, right? And I think we've dealt with a lot of content like that that is probably equally as deep as Anthony's talking about here with his spirituality. And I just, I just want to recognize it's a slight deviation from the content that we normally deal with on the show and that this is heavy, deep stuff. But it's clear to me that Anthony knows exactly what he talks, he's talking about. Oh, for sure. He knows this content inside out. I am finding it quite complex I think it's the kind of talk that I would have to go back and watch it two or three times to properly understand it. Yeah, I know what you mean, hey. But I think the point here is the content is not necessarily important when you're putting together a TED talk or any presentation. What is important is making sure that you've got your thoughts, your ideas and that key message all clear and defined and structured so that no matter how deep the content is in what field, it's going to make sense, right? Yeah, I can see that... Untamed, this would be so all over the place and impossible to understand. To not see and extract value even from the things we don't like. And I realized that I almost missed this because I thought it wasn't philosophy. But this is a very ancient philosophy. You could call it self-inquiry, as some people do. And one of its earliest philosophers said that this inability to see and extract value from the things we don't like because we are so stuck on the things that we do like, he called it the like-dislike monster. So one day, I'm sitting there dealing with the internet, not so much Twitter storms or keyboard warriors, but a sea change. You know, you run an online business and one day it's this way, the next day it's that. But instead of throwing my computer across the room and jumping up and down on it, I go for a walk and in a park not far from that cafe where Ben set me on this adventure, I sat and I sang my little Sanskrit song. And then it happened. All my thoughts disappeared. Just gone. It was exquisite. And it happens more and more often, the more that I practice. And of course, I still have thoughts. I got myself here today. Planning thoughts. Extroversion. How can we help more people? How can we help them more often? Not so much I, 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 but you, you, 
and you and you. And when a battle axe of thought comes in, I have this great simple little tool that's super simple to remember. You don't need a bunch of memory techniques to do it. And these thoughts just fall apart. Are they useful? How do they behave? Now, five years ago, the little boy who thought he was a big man wouldn't have agreed with Aldous Huxley, who said, a totally unmystical world would be a world totally blind and insane. I don't know about mystical or not mystical. These are just words. But I was blind and insane. And we see all kinds of people on network news, on the internet. Talk, they don't even talk into this anymore. It's disappeared into their ears. Blind and insane. But we can't change them. We can't change anybody else. And we know that deep down inside. Because it's thoughts that make us think it's even possible. But you can change you. And I think you'll be surprised by how quickly it happens when you start to not destroy, not to dissolve, not to chase away your thoughts, but simply neutralize them. Now the question is, do you have to memorize as much, as, as much Sanskrit as I went on to memorize? Piles of it, mountains of it. It's amazing, I highly recommend it. I don't know, but I don't think so. The next time the great like-dislike monster raises its ugly head, or maybe the next time you are the like-dislike monster, you can simply stop and ask yourself, are my thoughts useful? How do they behave? There you go. Anthony Mativier, two easily remembered questions that silence negative thoughts. Speaking of thoughts, Kate, what are your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> like I said earlier, I feel like I'm going to have to watch that two or three times to properly understand it. A lot of the content's very new to me, so I struggled to fully comprehend it, I think. And I think, like if we talk about the one message. Okay, let's talk about the one message. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the message is actually, you can silence negative thoughts. I don't think I fully understood how to use those two questions. I think at the end they became quite clear of what are my thoughts, how do they behave, but I don't fully understand how to utilize them yet. And again, like I said, maybe watching this two or three times, I will probably understand that, but right now I'm struggling with it. Yeah, he had a lot of supporting material in there that I think is maybe like you where I tripped up a little bit as well, but I think that conclusion was quite strong. Next time you have this issue, Ask yourself these two questions. And he had the gesture the, of his thoughts disappearing. I actually quite like that. That was nice, yeah. yeah. Um, for me, I think that is the message. Ask yourself these two questions and you can control negative thoughts in mm -hmm. your mind. So, I mean, like he said in the interview, it's quite certainly quite powerful that this process, you know, saved him and could potentially save others. And now it's got 800,000 views. Like it's very clearly useful to a lot of people out there. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe I don't connect with this because... Maybe I don't have this issue with those types of negative thoughts. I think that might be the issue is it just doesn't resonate with me. That doesn't mean it's not good. It just means that it's not a match for me specifically. It'd be like if I was trying to watch a talk that you'd recommended on skincare, be like, that's nice. And, and he's clearly passionate, but I don't, I don't know how to apply this to my life, you know? Skincare by Hiram is the best YouTube channel, oh, but I know what you mean. And I, and I agree. <laughs> 
All right, let's talk about what did you see, Kate? Because I think you saw something that was quite interesting here. Mm. So I actually paused this about halfway through and went on Google to look up Anthony Mativia. I've not actually met him in person. I know you what? have, obviously. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've known him for years. Yeah. There you go. Because, and we've talked about this before, he's wearing a black shirt, a nice shirt, and I suspected, and I was correct, that's a bit of his personal brand. That's what he wears. I saw that in all the photos on Google Images. He's always wearing a dark shirt. Always wearing a very dark shirt. And the problem that happens at TED is you've usually, and it's happened in this instance, you've got a dark background. And he's a little bit of a floating head. It's not really a problem for him because he's got long hair. In saying that, I would maybe like to have seen a dark colour rather than black. Like a burgundy or a navy or something yeah. just to stand out from the black background that little bit. Yes, because the shoulders and the arms do kind of meld into the background a little bit. Yeah. I would have just liked to see that delineation just a little bit more. Yeah. Otherwise, what I saw, I saw he had good, um, it's actually quite a small red circle they've got there for him. So, of course, he didn't move around too much, but I really liked he had some decent gestures in there. He was actually quite uh, authentic and natural, I thought, with how he moved. Uh, some good eye contact around the room. I know for a fact there was about 100 people sitting in that audience, so not a massive audience, um, but enough that he had to make an effort to connect with the size of that room. All right, any final thoughts, Kate? No, not really, just that I probably would have to watch it a couple of times to fully understand it and properly appreciate it, I think. Do you want to congratulate Anthony and I for the work we did to produce? Yeah. <laughs> I'm so grateful that Anthony recognised the opportunity that TED Talk is and reached out to get some help. Um, it's got 800,000 views. He seemed pretty happy with it. And overall, it seems like a pretty good success. So, And I'm very grateful to Anthony for the opportunity. So thank you, mate, for reaching out and trusting me with helping you put together a TED Talk. And I think, Kate, we should invite Anthony back with some of his memory methods because that might be useful to the listeners for remembering and internalizing presentations. Oh, that would be brilliant. Let's do that. Okay. <laughs> so thanks for listening into this week's episode, a speech breakdown of Anthony Mativier and a little bit of a conversation with him. And we will be back in your ears again next week. And a reminder that if you can't wait that long to come and join our Facebook group, Presentation Bosses, there's a link down in the description or you can just search for us on Facebook. Thanks for listening to today's show. Head to presentationboss.com.au slash podcast where you'll find the show notes for this episode, all other episodes and other free resources. If you've seen a speech you'd like us to break down on the show, flick us the link at podcast at presentationboss.com.au. Most importantly, we rely on you to share the information in this podcast. If you found value in today's episode, please recommend us to a friend or we'd love for you to give us a review on iTunes. It helps more people find us. Have a great week. Are you looking for something? I'm looking to find other photos of him and if he wears anything other than black. Um, I think he... 